0: Hello and welcome to What on Earth? The podcast of the Environmental Investigation Agency, or EIA. I'm Paul Newman, EIA's Press and Communications Officer, and today we're going to be taking a look at some of the key findings of our latest report, out of Africa, into illegal wildlife trafficking from that continent to Asia. Joining me is Shruti Suresh, our Senior Wildlife Campaigner, and Chris Hamley, Senior Pangolin Campaigner, to talk about how this trade works, how corruption greases its wheels, and what EIA believes should be done to address it as a matter of urgency. Sharusi, Chris, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts with us.
1: Thank you, Paul. I'm excited to be here.
2: <laughs> Good to be chatting with you today, Paul. Nice one, guys. Thank you so much.
0: Shrewsi, the report headlines that Western Central Africa have become the world's epicenter for the trafficking of elephant ivory and pangolin scales to Asia. Could you tell us which countries are specifically in the spotlight and give us an idea as to the extent of the problem?
1: That's right, Paul. Uh, It's actually quite a distressing state of affairs because we're really looking at the last remaining strongholds of wild populations of elephants, pangolins and other wildlife in this part of Africa. So this region not only serves as a source for poached ivory and poached pangolin scales, but it is also a region where a number of organized criminal activities along the trade chain uh, takes place. So that could include transportation, consolidation, packing, financial payments, which includes the payment of bribes, and of course, export from ports in this, from this region to Asian markets. Um, so it is quite a, a complex issue involving multiple countries When you look at the source side, uh, you have, for example, Gabon, which is the largest African forest elephant rain state uh, with the the largest elephant population of forest elephants. So it plays a key role as a source country. Uh, We know, for example, for the the last decade or so, Gabon has lost over 30 percent of its elephant population, primarily due to poaching. One particular national park called the Minkebé National Park uh, has seen a loss of over 80% of its elephant population, again, due to poaching. And this particular national park is also a a prominent pangolin poaching site. So you have uh, uh, poaching also uh, uh, being a key problem in this area. But you have high levels of organized crime activities. And that then takes us to Nigeria, where you're seeing uh, a lot of these products being sourced from the region arriving in this country, being consolidated and shipped out from its air and seaports. So Nigeria has now emerged as the largest export hub for elephant ivory and pangolin scales, leaving the continent to Asian markets.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a horrendous situation, and those numbers are frankly appalling. What's actually driving this high rate of trafficking? How is it happening, And, and why is Nigeria in particular emerged as a hotspot for illegal trade?
1: So EIA research and field investigations show that it is a toxic combination of weak governance, poor law enforcement, and serious corruption across the region that is fueling the trade. Having said that, I think it's really important for us to step back and look at the political and local context of this region. So many pockets of this region are grappling with high levels of poverty, high levels of organized crime and high levels of corruption. Um, so within this backdrop, wildlife trafficking is just not a priority issue for these governments. It is not on the even on the agenda for many of these governments. Um, So that needs to change and we need to see political will amongst the governments implicated in this issue uh, to be tackling this issue more seriously. Nigeria in particular is quite interesting because it is also grappling with a number of these issues such as corruption uh, and uh, organized criminality. But at the same time, it also has well-developed transportation systems which are being organized. Exploited by these organized crime groups. It also is quite a prominent financial center in the region and in the continent. So you have organized crime groups exploiting the financial systems here as well. Um, And added to that, you have a problem of lack of coordination and cooperation amongst the key government agencies within Nigeria who actually have the mandate to tackle wildlife crime. So within the country, You're not seeing as much action that there needs to be to actually tackle wildlife crime as a serious organized crime. Uh, And again, as I said before, this is not just an issue about Nigeria. It's about sourcing and consolidation transport happening across the region so we need to see regional cooperation taking place which at the moment is not happening and at the same time we also need to see international cooperation taking place so looking at where these shipments are going from Nigeria to the Asia side. So there needs to be more uh, international law enforcement collaboration as well.
0: Okay. Oh, thanks, thanks for that. Um, Chris, as our resident expert in all things Pangolin, could you give us some idea of the volume of illegal trade in this creature and its parts?
2: Sure. So um, in the latter decades of the 20th century, Asia's pangolins were actually pushed almost to extinction and many of those populations are either critically endangered or endangered. And from around 2008, there was an uptick in the trafficking of pangolin scales from Africa to Asia. Um, Initially, a lot of this trafficking was focused on East and Southern Africa. Um, But through seizures, we have identified that West and Central Africa over the past five years has become the top sort of export hub for pangolin scales being trafficked from Africa to Asia. Um, And globally, um, between the year 2000 and the year 2019, it is estimated that the equivalent of 745,000 pangolins were seized uh, from illegal legal trade, um, trade specifically for pangolin scales. Um, and the majority of those seizures have actually taken place in the last sort of four to five years. Um, um, and in 2019, there was about 115 tons of pangolin scales seized. Um, so we can see that actually, you know, the volumes involved are significant. Um, and they represent many, many, many hundreds of thousands of pangolins that are being hunted and poached from their habitats. Um, and there is a you know, growing concern about the status of these wild populations. Um, and in 2019, two African pangolins actually uh, were reclassified on the IUCN Red List into a higher category of um, threat. So things are not looking great Um, and through our investigations uh, we have established that there are trafficking groups that have many tons of pangolin scales in their possession um, and they work um, in cooperation with many different actors across the supply chain as Shruti has just been describing to move these products from source areas across Western Central Africa um, to Asia where they are consumed primarily in countries such as China and Vietnam.
0: Now, you mentioned um, uh, earlier on that the um, the rise of um, pangolin poaching and trafficking from Africa is, is a relatively recent thing. but. Previously, it was the Asian pangolin populations that were being hired. Um Is there a particular reason that your research has, has, has found for this shifted focus onto Africa? Is it simply that the, the pangolins in Asia were getting too hard to find, um, or is it a matter of the traffickers kind of broadening their horizons through contacts?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think the main reason here really is because those Asian populations were so heavily depleted and decimated that traders simply needed to turn to Africa to source the pangolin scales to supply the demand. Um, And a lot of those networks that are involved in pangolin scale trafficking were historically also involved in other types of wildlife trafficking, such as ivory, elephant ivory, uh, rhino horn. Um, And with the expansion of um, particularly like Chinese and Southeast Asian commerce and enterprise across Africa, this is um, enabled the sort of supply chains and global infrastructure to be used to traffic these products.
0: Yeah. What kind of impact is, is this extreme poaching and trade having on pangolin populations in Africa um, as a result of, of this kind of exploitation so intensely for such a short space of time?
2: Um, well, it's difficult to put exact figures on the impacts on the populations because there have been very few surveys into um, population numbers. Um, This is because um, there's been a lack of attention and resourcing to complete these surveys, but also because pangolins are are very difficult to detect in their habitat. Um, However, you know, the level of trade um, indicated through seizures does give us an idea of what's going on. Um, and information included in the recent IUCN Red lists assessments have shown that um, the white-bellied pangolin in particular and the black-bellied have been subject to particularly high rates of trafficking. Um, and it's expected that the abundance has dropped significantly um now with the giant pangolin you know through our investigations we have established that giant pangolin scales are entering trade so it's very likely that giant pangolins are also being heavily depleted now the added factor here is that you know while there's demand for pangolin scales internationally there's also local and regional demand for pangolin bushmeat um, and that has existed for a very long time, um, and that is expected to have already had significant impacts on, on wild pangolin populations.
0: Okay. Thank th- oh, thanks for that, Chris. Um, now, Shuruti, um today is, as we record in this, the 9th of December, which is UN Anti-Corruption Day, which is obviously particularly fitting given the role that corruption plays in facilitating illegal wildlife trade for Africa. Can you tell us how it does so in the context of this report?
1: Sure. So from our work, it's quite clear that corruption plays a key role in almost every part of the wildlife trafficking trade chain, uh, straight from sourcing all the way to export On the in the West Central Africa region. We know, for example, that wildlife traffickers have exported over 30 tons of ivory and 167 tons of pangolin scales from Nigeria alone. So we're talking about thousands of dead elephants and hundreds of thousands of dead pangolins. Um, And this has been made possible primarily because of the protection provided by corrupt government officials. So this could be within customs agencies. It could be within uh, border agencies at porous borders where these goods are moved across. Uh, It could be within the police sector. Uh, And it's not only within the public sector. You also have corruption and misappropriation of funds taking place within the private sector. So, for example, employees of airlines or shipping companies or courier companies accepting payments uh, to allow the trafficking of of illegal wildlife products. Uh, So, this is quite a well-entrenched issue across the trafficking chain. Corruption could take different forms. So bribes can be paid to avoid detection, to avoid seizure, uh, to even avoid arrest. Uh, on the rare occasion that seizures may happen in some of these places, we've also come across cases where bribes are pays, paid Sorry, to retrieve the products back from the seizing authority. From the conversations our investigators have had uh, with wildlife traffickers, it would appear that up to 70% of the fees charged by some of these clearing and transportation agents, 70% of these fees is going to pay bribes to corrupt government officials. So that is quite a significant figure and shows uh, what a key role corruption plays to facilitate wildlife trafficking. So really, we need to see corruption in itself being treated as a crime alongside uh, wildlife trafficking and all the other associated criminal activities we are seeing as part of this
0: uh, trade-chain. Forgive the simplistic generalisation, or my understanding of it at that level anyway. Um, When we talk about corruption, uh, are we talking about well-placed government bureaucrats lining their pockets so they can buy new pools and flash cars? Or are we talking about people taking bribes to supplement low incomes? Because you mentioned poverty being a major issue in this region earlier.
1: I think it's both, uh, because of the key role corruption plays all along the trade chain. We have uh, You might have low-level officers accepting bribes for, say, providing support for changing paperwork, for example, uh, or allowing packages to go through without being scanned. But you also have protection being provided by officials who have a, a more senior role within some of these agencies. Um, if you look at the sheer scale of what's happening and the volume of goods passing undetected, uh, it's quite clear that it is entrenched and covers quite a a number of officials within these government agencies.
0: So, obviously, we, we talked so far about where these um, wildlife products come from um, and how they're trafficked out of there. Chris, could you give us um, an idea of what the remaining markets are in Asia for elephant ivory and pangolin scales?
2: Yes. Um, so, as we know and we mentioned already, um, a significant amount of demand is coming from East and Southeast Asia for both pangolin products um, and elephant ivory, but also other wildlife products as well. Um, now, it, for elephants, there was some good news a few years ago in 2016 when the Chinese government um, closed its domestic ivory, ivory market. Um, And with that, there has been a certain decline in demand, but actually we have seen that um, there continues to be an illegal trade in ivory in China um, and there has been a notable shift in demand for ivory products to countries such as Vietnam and Cambodia. So, while you know there is some good news on the domestic market front for elephants, it really hasn't completely resolved the problem. Um, and the key question here is how effectively that has been used as a tool to eliminate demand. Um, so, I think the message there is that um, efforts to close legal markets also need to be accompanied with wider sort of consumer behaviour change strategies so that when laws are established and implemented, that um, a sort of um, black market doesn't continue to thrive. Um, So on the pangolin front, um, China continues to maintain a legal domestic market for pangolin scale medicine. um, And actually, In October of this year, EIA published a report, Smoke and Mirrors, in which we went into some detail about this uh, domestic market and presented the results of an open source investigation into the role of pharmaceutical companies in the advertising of pangolin scale medicines online um, and the role of provincial governments in improving the um, transfer and supply of pangolin scales between companies. Um, Now, the reason why this legal market exists in China is because there is an exemption in the Wildlife Protection Law, Article 27, that permits even protected species to be used commercially. Now, um, this year EIA has been monitoring the development of a revised wildlife protection law, um, and we've seen a draft of that. And unfortunately, um, the Article 27 issue is still there. So there continues to be an exemption for the use of um, pangolin scales. Um, And while the Chinese government (coughs) claims that the pangolin scales being used within this legal market are only sourced from historical Um, pangolin-scale stockpiles that existed before the Appendix 1 uplisting in 2016, Um, given the levels of demand and the levels of trafficking into China, it is highly likely that pangolin-scale sourced from across Asia and Africa are being laundered into this legal market. So, this legal market is driving demand, um, and by keeping it open, the Chinese government is confusing consumers, it's confusing law enforcement. Um, and for this to be resolved, we really need some global leadership from China in the same way that we had on elephants. Otherwise, this issue is probably not going to go away anytime soon.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that the the stockpiles you refer to um, are, are somewhat opaque in that there's no exterior knowledge as to the actual extent of them, like how many... Tons of, of scales they have in this historic stockpile.
2: Yes, um, there's actually very little transparency on the size of this stockpile, and it's it's not just one stockpile held by the government. It's a very sort of decentralized stockpile that is primarily um, held by private entities, wildlife trading companies, and pharmaceutical companies, um, and it is very difficult for the Chinese government to adequately and effectively monitor the use of these stockpiles, if they even exist. Um well, yeah,
0: that's another aspect, of course, isn't it? So <laughs> it, it might not just be uh, the legal trade supplementing them uh, as actually creating them in, in their entirety, I guess, is, a, is another possibility. Okay. Um. Oh, finally, um, what actions do you want to see taken to effectively stand against this trade? Uh, is it, is it a local matter for these countries to sort out themselves or is there something that the international community should be doing?
1: Um, as we've been discussing today, Paul, it's quite clear that uh, wildlife trafficking involves a number of countries all along the wildlife trafficking trade chains, so starting from, say, the forests of Western Central Africa all the way to a market in Vietnam or China. So really what we need... Uh, is targeted interventions at the local, national, regional and international level. Um, but that's not to say that it's too difficult or an issue or an impossible issue. It's it's really not because we are seeing progress. We have seen some law enforcement successes, for example, in East Africa and also in, in China, for example. And we're also seeing policy reform in, in many countries. Uh, Chris has already mentioned the closure of the legal domestic market five in China, and we're seeing similar moves like that in Hong Kong and other places as well. So Progress is happening, but it's just not happening as fast as it should, and certainly not at the pace that is needed to protect these animals uh, in their natural habitat. So a new report that we have launched this week um, has a number of recommendations for governments and other stakeholders. Uh, I can talk about one aspect, and perhaps Chris uh, can offer some remarks on this as well. Uh, As you mentioned, Paul, we've launched our report on the eve of Uh, UN International Anti-Corruption Day for a reason, that this is an issue uh, that can only be solved if we solve corruption and address corruption that is fueling wildlife trafficking. So we do need to see a political will of governments to tackle corruption associated with wildlife crime and the criminality associated with it. Um, And as a concluding remark from my end, I think it's just uh, really necessary that this happens urgently and we don't have time to waste because we are talking about the last remaining elephant and pangolin population in this part of Africa so we uh, we need to see action and we need to see it now with that I'll hand over to Chris who might <laughs> want to jump in here
2: Yeah, thanks Shruti, the only thing I'd add really is that um, you know we have seen over the past few years an, a strengthening of law enforcement efforts um, in targeting some of these transnational wildlife trafficking networks that seems to have had a certain degree of success. Um, So now hopefully we can see we could see that approach being transplanted into western central Africa Um, and you know with that we would hope that increased resourcing and support for the use of intelligence-led investigations to identify those individuals and actors that are working at the mid to high levels of these trafficking networks, but also those individuals who are closely involved in organizing the logistics of these um, illicit exports, so that there can be a certain degree of disruption that can deter these groups from operating across this region. Um, and Then that would complement efforts on the demand side to close domestic markets and eliminate demand.
0: Superb. Thank you very much. Well, Shruti and Chris, thanks so much for joining us today and for your time. Um, If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please watch this space for future episodes and check out our website at eia-international.org to find out more about our work. Thanks for joining us and wherever you are, stay safe out there.